guys. Welcome to the Mentally Chill Podcast. It's your host, Kristen Carney. And if I sound a little different today, it's because I got a cold. And you know, it's so frustrating and so typical. I booked my first voiceover job. My first ever. I've been auditioning for like a year and a half, maybe a year. You always kind of inflate. You never actually, you know, if you waited five minutes, you'll say 15 minutes. It's always an inflation. Anyway, I booked my first voiceover job. And then the next morning I woke up and I sounded like this. It's just life. This is what happens. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to drink some tea with honey and pretend I'm a singer like Mariah Carey or something. Really care for my vocal cords and hope for the best. Or, Or they'll like this voice better. But I mean, what are the chances? Well, actually pretty high because I'm not like a picture of health. So this kind of makes sense. So today's episode is going to be a little hodgepodge of a couple different things. Before I get started, though, I'm going to say thank you to the new people on Patreon, my cult members, Nick S., CJ, and Marissa. And I think going forward by popular demand, I'm going to be doing more behind the scenes stuff on Patreon. So I'll upload show outtakes and pictures from taping and all sorts of things that I'm surprised you find interesting, but I'm so glad you do. And as I've mentioned before, I do bring this show to you pretty much ad-free. I think I've only had one ad before. So please support me on Patreon to continue getting the show ad-free. I would love to not have to worry about getting sponsors on. And in order for me to do that, I would love your support on Patreon. $2 a month, $5 a month, of course, $500 a month, but whatever you can do, Please go to Patreon and support me and support the show and this uh, community. And if you've always dreamed about being part of a cult, here's your opportunity. We are watching A Christmas Story today, Friday, December 7th. And I would love if you joined me 7 p.m. West Coast time, 10 p.m. East Coast time. I did say 7.30 slash 10.30, but I figured that's a little bit too late. And you know the address, but just in case, it's patreon.com slash mentally chill. So I hope to see you there. And literally, I will see you because at movie night, we see each other in a chat room while we watch it. So make sure you're wearing a shirt. Pants, I don't worry about because, you know, the computer really is only chest up. So, I mean, if you don't want to wear a shirt, but hopefully you'll wear a shirt. So anyway, today's episode is going to be just me. It's like I'm out to dinner alone and I'm confident about it. It's okay. I don't need to go to Chili's with someone in order to feel validated. So I'll be alone and I'll be talking about losing in life and being part of an environment that continuously loses and how that can spill over into your mental health and ultimately affect your depression and the path of your life. And I'll also be talking about having super vivid stress dreams, why we have them, what that means. I'm not a pro. This is just shit I've Googled. So you guys could either Google it or listen to me talk about it. It's up to you. But I'm going to start with the losing environment thing. So I actually tried to tape an episode about this with a friend of mine, and he didn't really get what I was saying. And I realized it was for two reasons. One, I wasn't adequately explaining myself because I just assumed he would get it. And two, what I'm saying sounds so absurd that I understand he didn't get it. It wasn't translating the way that I wanted to. So I'm actually not using the episode. And I figured it would just make a little bit more sense if I talked about it alone and explained it better than I did with him. 
Now to preface, I'm really sensitive to energy. That makes me sound sound a little crazy, but it's really true. If you go back and listen to the episode I taped with Chris Medina, who's a psychic, he said he doesn't believe I have depression so much as I'm just really affected by my environment. And I do agree with him to an extent. When I go to the grocery store or I go to a drugstore, it feels so ordinary and empty to me that I actually feel depressed when I go to a grocery store or just run an errand or go to Lowe's. There's a mystique I think I've imagined life to have. And when I turned into an adult and realized that mystique isn't real, I think I came crashing down a bit. But this relates to the losing because the Buffalo Bills, who I'm a big fan of, now hear me out. I know it sounds absurd, but when I was eight years old, they went to their first Super Bowl and lost. And then when I was nine years old, they went to their second Super Bowl and lost. Then when I was 10, they went to their third and lost. And when I was 11, they went to their fourth and lost. I think those years are a pretty vulnerable time in your life. And I think you soak in what's around you. Now, I wasn't being abused by my parents. Obviously, that would have been horrific and way worse. And I wasn't sick. That would have been way worse. But my little brain, I think, really soaked in the idea that losing was what I was part of. And I think I embraced that. It was just almost a second nature thing. I knew losing. And once you become used to something, that becomes your norm. And then your norm becomes your life. It seems to me like it's like why they say children of abusive homes tend to eventually become abusive or children from alcoholic homes tend to become alcoholics. And for me, it's like my own form of continuing on the abuse, albeit it's incredibly minor. So I'll say it like, to make it feel more minor, I'll say it like, abuse. Like, yeah, Like, it wasn't really abuse. But it just was something negative. I really hope this is making some sense. And right now, I feel incredibly lucky because right now I'm recognizing that that's been a pattern my whole life. And I can change it. And hopefully that will therefore eventually help my depression because because I think I feel a, a lack of control in my life. Therefore, the depression has the control because I don't have any control. And the way I envision this depression slash losing mentality controlling my life is say I'm in the driver's side of my car. I'm sitting at a red light. I don't have automatic locks in my car because I've been losing my whole life and my car is from 1991. Just kidding. I have a 2016 Jetta. I know, Kristen, stop bragging. Regardless, imagine that's the case and I'm sitting at the red light and someone just opens the door and gets in and pushes me over and I get into the passenger seat. But this, per but this person who pushed me over into the passenger seat is an old, decrepit, weak, weak man who has to use a walker. And just because he came in, I accept it. Even though I know I have the strength and the power to overcome him because he needs a walker, I can use the walker against him. Using this as an analogy makes me feel very bad because I'm a huge fan of old men. I love old men. I think they're mostly adorable. Even 
Um, if there's drool involved, I really do like old men. So <laughs> this is nothing to do with my affinity for old men, but it's really what it is. You're the stronger person in the scenario, but for whatever reason, you're letting this weaker person control you and your life. And that weaker person is the energy or the vibe or the momentum that has already been set. And I think momentum is so important. There's a commercial on TV. I don't know. I hate saying, I don't know if I said this on the show before, but I don't know if I said it. I might've said it last week, but there's a commercial on television that says bodies at rest tend to stay in rest and bodies in motion tend to stay in motion. The irony is you're watching that on TV. Your body's definitely at rest and it's going to take a hell of a, a forklift to get you in motion. But that always has stuck with me. And it's like the train is rolling. Whatever direction that train is rolling in is the direction that you're going to go. And so you have to be strong enough to stop the train with just your arm. You need to become Superman or whatever. So how do you get that Superman hand besides steroids and, and signing away your life to the devil? I think the first step is knowing your strengths. You can know your weaknesses. You already know your weaknesses. We're all aware of our own weaknesses. Let's not exacerbate them or give them more energy. I think you have to think about what you're good at. That's not my nature. I do not usually think about what I'm good at, but I'm trying to fight against nature and think about what I'm good at. So think about what you're good at. And then I think you need to exploit the shit out of it. And by that, I mean milk it for everything it's worth. If you think you're great at drawing, draw all the time, post your pictures Go take classes, meet friends in those classes where they respect and admire your ability to draw and start building self-esteem so that you can use that self-esteem to turn the train around. I think it's also pretty amazing to realize how much control you do actually have over your life. So I think if you combine having self-esteem and self-worth with the fact that life really boils down to choices and the choices you choose to make and the keyword there is you, you choose to make them. I think that empowers you to realize that you're not a victim. You don't have to flow down the river of losing just because that's the way the river's already flowing. Grab onto a stick and hold on for dear life and then pull yourself out of that river because that river just is going to eat you alive. And I... I, I feel like a weird motivational speaker right now. I'm not, but I am experiencing some changes of my own or a change in the tide because I had this weird moment. Most people call it just being an adult. I had this moment that people maybe experience when they're 20 or 25 or 18. I experienced it apparently when I was 35, but I realized that life, like I just mentioned the choices, but life comes down to choices and hard work. And I don't know why I never got that before. And you guys have heard me joke. Well, it's I'm not joking. I'm, I'm being very serious. When I talk about not wanting to work. And I realize nothing comes without the hard work. Nothing at all. I didn't have the father that told me that. I had the father that told me super funny jokes. And I love him for life for that. But he never... Or, you know, I just didn't know that wasn't instilled in me. That if you want something, you have to work for it. I was... You know, I'm talking about feeling like I've lost for most of my life and accepting that fate. But in a million ways, I wasn't losing. 
it was being provided in many ways, but it's not worth it unless you're actually working for something. And I know none of this is original and you've all heard this before, but it's just hitting me just now. So I know that when you're depressed, the last thing that you want to do is work for it. But I think, like I said, if you work on the self-esteem as, as much as you possibly can to pull yourselves out of the depth of depression, you can get to the point where you can put hard work into something and reap the benefits or feel proud. And I know I haven't felt proud in so long. My entire, I usually feel shame. I know shame, me and shame go all the way back. We're buddies. Shame is my OG. Like if I see shame on the street, we have a super insider handshake. Yes, shame does have a hand. I've seen it before. It's very small and, and very, it looks um, clammy, which is not a surprise. But recently when I went to see uh, the Rockettes in New York at Radio City Music Hall, and one thing about the Rockettes, they do require you to be at least 5'6". I'm only 5'5". I, I, I thought I was 5'4", but recently doctors have been telling me 5'5 when I've gone in a couple times. That's what, So I think I grew or something. Or um, or I put lifts in my own heels like I implanted them. Oh, which by the way, that's a good idea for plastic surgery. Doctors should, they should put in pads in your own feet. Oh my God, no one steal this idea. I'm going to become a gajillionaire. Anyway, um, I wouldn't have been able to be a rockette per se. But... I thought I would never have a chance at all at succeeding in the world of dance or Broadway. But that was the victim mentality and that was the loser in me and the accepting the status quo and not challenging it and bending over. Uh, you guys know what bending over means. It's taking it up the tailpipe. So that's what I had been doing. But when I went to see them recently... I just had this epiphany moment where I, where I thought, oh my God, if I understood the value of hard work when I was 18 years old and knew, okay, I may not be perfect right now, but I have potential and it requires hard work to reach that potential, I might be able to actually get a job someday doing this. But in my mind, it was like either you're good at something and you're great at it or you're not at all. I didn't understand the concept of hard work. And I think that mentality kept me going down the loser stream. And so now that I'm understanding and shifting my perspective, it's making me feel much more empowered. And an example of the hard work thing is something I can give you right now. So I do this random thing, which I don't think you guys really know about if you don't listen to my other podcast. But if you go to my website, you'll see there's a page for dating help. So it's kristencarney.com slash dating help. And I rewrite dating profiles for people so that they're engaging and endearing and witty and interesting. But I also teach guys, I would teach women too, but guys have been the only uh, taker so far. I do teach guys how to banter. And recently I was working with someone, Keith, you may be listening. And Keith said, I can't come up with creative openers. I give up the end. Give me a new, give me a new profile to try to open with. Cause I give like these fake profiles and then have them write openers and we fix it until it's right. So we can see the formula. 
that you use to become somewhat witty. I don't think you can teach someone to really be funny, but I think you can teach someone to be witty and uh, to bring out their insightfulness. Anyway, Keith and I were doing the banter session and he was dead set on not getting the right opener for this one specific profile. And I would not let him give up, even though he was convinced that he couldn't do it. And so I pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And finally, all of a sudden, it was like a well opened and he was funny and witty. He just wouldn't work hard toward it at the beginning. And it it was, I could see a lot of myself in him. And not just because he has a beard, but because if I think I can't do something, I don't even try. If I see something that looks very challenging or get a piece of Ikea furniture that I'm convinced I cannot figure out how to put together, then I don't. I won't even get close to it. I won't come near it. It's almost like it's poisonous and I'm, I'm like, I'm not touching that. Are you insane? But I realize this thing is not poisonous. It's, it's just, it's a garden snake. But I'm sure you've heard of the author Malcolm Gladwell. I guess I'll do a little schizo bookia right now. And he wrote the book called Outliers, The Story of Success in 2008. And it's essentially common sense, but it's his theory that if you do something for a total of 10,000 hours, that's when you become an expert at that thing. And I've put in maybe 10,000 seconds into something, but never 10,000 hours. And so I think if I put in the hard work, this loser path that I feel like I've been going down for so long would have no footprints in it at all because I wouldn't have gone this direction. And if I turn 85 years old and all of a sudden have the realization that I let the Buffalo Bills losing Super Bowls as a child dictate my life, if I had any strength left in any of my muscles, I would hit myself over and over, but I'll be way atrophied by then. But I, I can't live with the idea that I allowed something so silly and so meaningless create my life story. So I guess I'm trying to take more control over my life story. And so I think you should too. So target what it is that you think has kept you weak for so long. Realize that you're actually not a victim and that you can control that thing and change the direction of that thing. And hopefully maybe that will start to shrink your depression. It may shrink it by micro millimeters, or it might shrink it like your favorite pair of jeans in the dryer that you did not mean to just shrink because you spent $70 on them at the Gap and it was the last pair in your size and they were your dream jeans. You know, maybe the one time something shrinks to that extent, you'll be happy and grateful about it. So I hope it helps shrink your shit. Put your problem in the dryer and shrink it. But if you will, for one second, imagine that whatever has been holding you back or defined your life, imagine that that is part of a choose your own adventure book and you can choose the other ending where you weren't affected or you didn't allow that thing to control you. Where would you be right now? So I kind of sometimes imagine, and not that the Super Bowls have defined me that much, I'm just using this as a concrete example, but imagine if the Bills had won one of those Super Bowls or two or three or four, 
what would I be doing right now? How would my life be different? And I'm not going to look at that in a way with regret, but in a way with, I guess, optimism, which is the dirty O word that I never like to use. Like, I really can't usually explain the difference between an optimist and a stupid idiot. So (laughs) right now, I guess I'm being a stupid idiot. But how would my life look if they did win a bunch? And I'm going to apply that to what it could be today. So it hasn't happened yet. But I'm going to shift my thinking and pretend they won those games. And if they had, where would I be? And how can I get there now? 25 years later or however many years later. So it's like if they won one of the four Super Bowls, maybe I would have gotten better grades. I mean, this could all be insane and delusional. And I really didn't get that affected by the Super Bowls. I'm trying to use this as an example of the way things affect us in our lives and create momentum. Like this was the bobsled of losing the Super Bowls for me. And then I just kept going with it. I didn't think about it. I didn't realize it It was just was on its course. And, you know, so if they won two Super Bowls, would I have gotten better grades and also stood up for myself against the bullies? Um, If they won three Super Bowls, would I have tried harder at dance because things were felt more positive? You know, I don't know. I really don't know. (laughs) But it's not too late to choose the better adventures. And you may think this sounds totally idiotic and not accurate or possible at all. Or you think it might be possible If you think it is, I think it's because you're maybe like me and sensitive to energies and the flow of things and momentum. And I keep saying those words, but I don't know. So just try to change the momentum as much as you can and start gauging whether or not you feel like that's helping your mental health. Now on to talking about dreams. I'm not going to tell you guys my dreams. I know it's impossible to listen to people's stories about their dreams. The thing with dreams is you always feel like they're so significant when they're yours and no one will ever grasp or understand them. So it's not worth trying to explain them to other people. So I'm not going to torture you guys and make you listen to me tell stories about my dreams. But I'm going to talk about how bad my dreams are and how I think it's this vicious cycle So I don't know if you guys who have depression or anxiety or both have really vivid, awful anxiety, stress dreams, but I do probably six or seven nights a week. And it has been without fail since I was probably about 16 or so. And the reason I say it's a vicious cycle is because I think I have these awful dreams because I have depression and anxiety. And then the dreams are so bad that they sit with me all day and give me more depression and anxiety, therefore push me into dreaming more in a vivid, anxious, awful way. And I just told you guys I wasn't going to bore you with stories about my dreams. However, here's one. This is the only one I'll bore you with. This was last night and I woke up with it and it sat with me all day. And it summarizes pretty much almost every single dream I have every single night. Um, I had just done a roast at Caroline's, which I mentioned on the show that I would be on. It went great. It actually went amazing. I got a standing ovation, which is just beyond bizarre to me. But last night I had a dream that I had to roast a comedian in front of more comedians and I bombed and I couldn't think of words and I completely lost my set and I made a fool of myself and I didn't know how I would recover and I was excommunicated 
from ever doing anything like that again. And having that kind of dream makes sense. I had a stressful, intimidating thing that I had to do and I had to perform well. It would make sense to have an anxiety dream. But I have that kind of dream every single night. And it usually does revolve around being, I just said excommunicated, but being quote unquote excommunicated or everyone hating me. And that's why I think my dreams have an element of PTSD because when I was in school, I didn't know if I would turn the corner and run into someone who hated me. And so I have these reoccurring nightmares, you know, different storylines sometimes, different plots. I'm imaginative, you know, I get creative. It's not the same story every time, but it's the same narrative every time, which is everyone hates you. You don't belong here. What are you doing here? Like I even have had dreams where ghosts hate me. Even the dead hate me. In one of those dreams specifically, this demonic spirit or ghost was pulling me by the ponytail and slamming me around a room. And I couldn't get them to stop and see that I'm not the worst. And if you want to get a ghost to like you, like, what do you do? How do you make them like you? You can't give them food because they can't taste anything. You can't, like, win them over with pies and cakes. And it's such a horrific feeling. But I did find some comfort reading that people with depression and anxiety, unsurprisingly, tend to have dreams with more negative mood. So I was reading an article on psychology today and it says patients with depression also experience more nightmares. Further, depressed patients with a history of suicidal thoughts or behaviors report more death themes in their dreams. However, and this is interesting because when you're depressed, like I, I describe it as feeling dead. This makes sense. Um, what they say here, it doesn't relate to my dreams, but it says, However, one study found that depressed patients reported less negative but more neutral effect in their dreams. The authors interpret this finding to be consistent with the effective flattening seen in depression. That makes sense. So it's kind of like your brain is dead. Further, one study of bipolar disorder found that shifts from neutral or negative dream content toward more bizarre and unrealistic dreams can predict manic states. And interestingly, dreams in patients with schizophrenia have found that the patients contain heightened levels of anxiety and negative effect. For instance, they reported higher frequencies of hostility in their dreams, specifically increased hostility directed toward the dreamer, so toward themselves. They also have freq more frequent nightmares than healthy subjects. When assessing the character involvement in the dreams of schizophrenic, several studies have found presence of more strangers, fewer familiar characters or friends, as well as idiosyncratic finding that the patient is often not the main character of the dream. I don't have uh, schizophrenia, however, I do dream like I do. But the dream is about me. It's not usually about other people. It's about other people hating me. But I wouldn't be surprised if I got to a point where I was dreaming about me hating me. That would make sense. And then lastly, I want to read what they have written for uh, dreaming in people with personality disorders. So uh, I don't have a personality disorder. I really don't. But it sounds like I dream a little bit more like them. It says patients with borderline personality disorder experience more negative dreams as well as more distress within their dreams and after awakening from their dreams. Ugh. I swear I don't have a personality disorder. If I do, don't tell anybody, but I definitely don't. I don't. I don't. I have a perfect personality. Um, further personality disorder is consistently associated with higher than average nightmare frequency and increasing nightmare frequency is associated with more severe symptoms and personality disorder. 
Some research suggests that these chronic nightmares may be related to childhood traumatic experiences, which are often implicated in the development of personality disorders. However, in another study, character interactions in the dreams of personality disordered patients were found to contain more friendliness and less aggressiveness, as well as less confusion than control subjects' dreams. They also contained heightened levels of sensory vividness, including movement and auditory attributes. These findings seem somewhat contradictory to the prevalence of nightmares and anxious distressing dreams, but could be indicative of a general intensification of dreaming processes that may at times result in nightmares or at times in vivid non-nightmare dreams, depending on the current levels of stress. Uh, How do we stop these vivid, horrific dreams? It would be amazing if the vivid dreams were of rainbows and oceans and swimming with beautiful fish and awesome experiences, but I usually only have a vivid dream when it's surrounding something incredibly anxiety-provoking. So how do we fix them? Uh, I don't know. We go to therapy, essentially. So this article on Healthline.com that I'm reading says, it's not always possible to pinpoint an exact cause of vivid dreams. In many cases, these dreams will go away over time. But if your vivid dreams are causing you emotional distress or physical problems, you might benefit from medical treatment or lifestyle modifications. Here are some of the common treatments. Medical intervention, staying healthy, coping with stress or anxiety by using meditation, deep breathing, relaxation techniques, art therapy, exercise, and other activities that can ease your stress. And that concludes the reading portion of the podcast. I like, I it's weird. I like to read out loud. I just don't like to read in general. But if you told me I had to read an entire book out loud to a class, I would, do you know how many books I would read? I would have read Huckleberry Finn, Little Women. I would have read Moby Dick, everything. If someone said, you have to read these to a bunch of people, I'd be like, all right, I'll read. But it's like, you have to read this alone in your bed and in your head. I'll be like, no, thanks. And this next thing I'm going to talk about, I'm actually going to be reading. But since I just said the reading portion of the show was over, I'm going to casually read it as if I'm talking it, but my eyes are looking at words right now. But it's this therapy called image rehearsal therapy, and it's for people who have nightmares as a result of trauma. It involves changing the ending of a nightmare you remember when you're awake to one that no longer becomes threatening. So I guess what they do is they ask you to continue playing over the new non-threatening ending in your dream, which is funny because I was talking about choosing your own ending earlier. Um, And this therapy is designed to reduce the frequency of vivid dreams, especially nightmares. And I hate to bring it to pills, but anti-anxiety medications can help induce a calmer sleep. So I don't know. It's therapy. I just need to work this shit out. And someone emailed me or messaged me, and I'm going to write you back as soon as I find where you sent me that message, saying that hypnotherapy would really work for me and that they'd love to talk to me. So I'm going to find that message because I think so, too. And I want to talk more about hypnotherapy. We did talk about it, I think, quickly with Dr. Drew on an episode. But Mike Carano, who's a regular guest, has been doing hypnotherapy. And he said he's been having some success with it. And he's going to talk to me about it for an episode over the computer, which I'm looking forward to because I'm actually really curious about hypnotherapy. But some other things to do before you go to bed to try to have a better sleep. People always talk about not having sugar before you sleep or eating before you sleep because then you'll have really vivid dreams if, or weird dreams if you eat before you sleep. I really don't eat before I sleep. Rarely eat at all lately. Um, but I don't think that that will help me. 
Some SSRIs apparently can impact your dreaming brain, but I know that I was having crazy dreams before I started an SSRI and was having them long after I had gone off and am now back on one. And my dreams have always been pretty much consistent. So whether on an SSRI or off an SSRI, I want to take a moment to say thank you for continuing to listen right now because my sick voice. I am assuming this is not the most lovely thing to listen to. So thank you for bearing with me. Luckily, germs don't come through speakers. Maybe one day with technology. Fingers crossed. Um, So another thing to do to help you have a calmer sleep is to use a white noise machine or a sound machine. And I'm having these horrific nightmares, so I'm not the best poster child for white noise machines. However, they do help me fall asleep. I fall asleep relatively quickly regardless, but white noise machines help me go even faster. One really good white noise machine that will make you fall asleep, I think, is this podcast. I've heard that. I've heard people like to fall asleep to this podcast. Part of me feels flattered. Part of me feels offended. And so I think I need to crank up the entertainment value because I want to keep you up all night rocking to all this cool mental health info conversation. Instead, I'm putting you to sleep with it. So um, so that's one option on your white noise machine is this podcast. The noises I like the best vary. I kind of go through a little bit of a rotation. One of my favorites are windshield wipers because it reminds me of being a kid in the car with my mom on my way home from a dance class and it's dark and rainy and cozy and the car's warm and I'm tired and I'm full with joy because I just went to dance and I would love a psychiatrist to analyze what white noise sound you choose because some of them are kind of fucked up. Like the white noise machine on my phone, it has like there's creaking, one's like a creaking sound, like a door in the wind. I mean, you're a little, you're a murderer if you like to fall asleep to that. Then there's the vacuum cleaner, which I mean, I get the background noise, but that's a little weird. And then the ticking clock. That that will drive you insane if you weren't insane to begin with. And there's traffic. I mean, I kind of get like, I, I enjoy the whales, which is weird. Like a sonar whale sound. I find it so comforting and so mesmerizing. Someone pointed out to me that they think the whales sound like ghosts. So I couldn't listen to it for a little while because it kind of creeped me out. Because it goes something like, Ooh. I'm not doing a good impression. I could just play it for you instead of embarrass myself. Actually, here it is. Here's the whale noise. So that's the good thing about being single is that you don't have to worry about your white noise choice because you're alone. Because if you're just starting to date someone, there is a point where you're going to have to reveal your white noise preference. It's like revealing you have an STD or something. Like, I've got something to tell you. I like to listen to whales when I fall asleep. And they'll be like, dear God, go get something to clear that up. I can't date you like that. Then I just go get a cream for it and begrudgingly fall asleep to the sound of a fan. It's boring. But I do like the fan. I listen to the fan. Usually probably the number one on rotation is the fan. Number two is the whale. Number three is the windshield wipers. Anyway... A few other suggestions to get a peaceful, less anxiety-provoking night's sleep. 
You can write something good before you go to sleep. So you're going to sleep with positive thoughts. Don't read or watch something super scary before bed. And it's funny because I haven't been watching TV before I go to sleep lately. I haven't over the past like two years actually. But normally leading up to about two years ago, I would mostly fall asleep to murder shows. And I'd be like, why am I having nightmares? I don't know. I can't figure it out. But I mean, I haven't been doing that for years and I still have those nightmares. But yeah, don't watch Forensic Files before you go to bed. Watch it all day. But 15 minutes before bed, you got to turn it off. Uh, Analyze your dreams. Actually, I'm sitting right now in front of a dream journal that I found that I kept in college. And inside, I did not keep track of my dreams. I kept track of what I was eating. And I'm going to be posting some pictures of it on the Patreon page. It's sad. I was This is when I was in the throes of being obsessed with what I was eating. So I'll put pieces of that online in the coming weeks. So yeah, I was excited to talk about my dream journal. And it turns out it was not dreams. It was more of a nightmare and nightmare about what I was eating. Today I had one Nutrigain bar and four chips and one glass of water. That was basically... It's a book of nightmares. But anyway, yes, analyze your dreams and write them down so that you can notice any sort of patterns that are happening. And then you can take those little patterns and sew yourself a quilt and then just sleep under your nightmares. If you're going to have them, you might as well let them keep you warm. So that's it for me talking about dreams. I'm going to do some segments. Are you guys ready for some segments? Here comes the thunder sound. Okay, first up. Depression, impression. So Pete Davidson, a long time ago, had talked about having borderline personality disorder. And he said that recently, because of his breakup with Ariana Grande, people have been cyberbullying him and basically telling him to kill himself. And it's really horrific. And this world is sometimes just too difficult to wrap your head around. So you just don't. You just kind of bury your head since you can't wrap it. But he said, I'm trying to understand how when something happens to a guy, the whole entire world just trashes him without any facts or frame of reference. I've been getting online bullied and in public by people for nine months. I've spoken about BPD and being suicidal publicly only in the hopes that it will help bring awareness and help kids like myself who don't want to be on this earth. It's heartbreaking that he said that. I just want you guys to know, no matter how hard the Internet or anyone tries to make me kill myself, I won't. I'm upset I even have to say this. I'm upset he has to say that. So here's a little F-ditch it. I saw the most disturbing video today. It was of a guy who was sitting, waiting for someone to walk by that he could push into traffic in Los Angeles. He did. He pushed a guy into traffic. The guy fell under the wheel of a truck, and he's currently in critical condition with a collapsed lung and broken ribs, but he's expected to survive. But the evilness of this dude sitting there waiting to push someone into traffic is is a guess the meds segment. And the meds should be tranquilizers? I don't know. What do you do to someone who is that evil? Do you put them away forever? Are they able to be rehabilitated? Is it a mental illness? Is it that they're really just a bad person? I don't know. But hearing these things is really upsetting and disappointing, says Captain Obvious. Of course, it's disappointing and upsetting but what else do you say I don't know what you say it's it's like what do you say in this scenario that would be an original thought I don't know besides just like oh that's horrific what do you do like what do we what do you do I think the only thing we can do or you can do is 
for every gross act you see on the internet, do something good. Put money in someone's meter or smile at someone on the street, something super simple to try to offset the chaotic evilness that exists. And doing that might take your mind off of your depression, maybe for only five minutes or 30 seconds, but that's 30 seconds less or five minutes less time that you had to spend feeling depressed. So do something nice. Yeah. I need to really reassess my life here. I'm being optimistic. I'm telling you guys to do good deeds. What's happened to me? What's happened? But I'm moving on to the next segment, which is one of my new favorites called Things I Tell My Therapist. So this week in Things I Tell My Therapist, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but if I'm at a restaurant and something comes without enough dressing or I need more sauce and I ask for a side of it, if I don't end up using it, I will put it on, like dump it onto the plate and mix it in with the food so it looks like I used it so the server doesn't think his run to the kitchen was in vain. Do you guys ever do that? I can't leave a full thing of sauce sitting there and then they come over, clean up my plates and go, ah, yeah, knew it. I knew she wasn't going to use that. She didn't need it. And my question to the therapist would be, is this actually an altruistic action or is it me being concerned about how I look to someone else? Jen and I had spoke on the last podcast about how we're really nice to strangers, but why? Is it so that they have a good view of us or is it actually because we want them to have a good experience in the world? I don't know. And another thing I would tell my therapist, which I thought of years ago when I was in therapy and never actually said it, and I wish I did, but I was crying in therapy and I knew therapy wasn't working because I thought to myself while I'm crying, do I look pretty while I'm crying? Like, do I look like I'm in a movie crying in a therapist's office? Have I said that before on this podcast? I've been wanting to say that for a long time. I probably did say it. And that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening and for hanging in there while I have this crummy, sick voice. I really appreciate it. And just so you know, I'll be posting the video of my set at Caroline's on the Patreon page. Once I get it, roasting ex-Yankee Shane Spencer, I got a standing ovation. So it's kind of worth checking out. I'll have it up there for a while. Go check that out at patreon.com slash mentally chill. Once I get it, I don't have it quite yet, but once I get it, it will be there. And please help this community grow and share the show with a friend that's so important. If you don't have a friend, make a friend just to share the show. Or you might make a friend through the show. Find each other on the Instagram page or on Patreon. The Instagram for the show is mentally chill pod. And we're on Twitter at chill mentally. I hate that name, but it's, ah, it's I'm stuck with it. And then you guys can also find me uh, on Instagram as well at Chris Karn or on Twitter at Kristen Carney. So remember, share the show with the friend that you made because of the show. Did that make sense? I don't think so. And because today I'm being a stupid idiot, a.k.a. optimistic, I still have hope that we can get to 500 reviews before the new year. So please go to iTunes and hit five stars. That would be so awesome. Anyway, that's it. And you guys know the deal. Stay sad enough to listen but not too sad. Bye, guys.